welcome to this episode of Sea Trade Maritime Masterclass. My name is Emma Howe, Director of Digital Sea Trade Maritime. Over the next 30 minutes or so, I look forward to discussing with Chris Avasano, Product Manager of Q88, his considerable experience in the maritime industry, which covers and combines practical trading experience with an understanding of how technology impacts the shipping space. Chris's 25 plus years of experience will lead to a fascinating conversation that will give graduates and those entering these fields some insight how a veteran professional progressed their career. Chris, you hold a Bachelor of Science from SUNY Maritime and an MBA from American University, which suggests a career in maritime was always on the cards. Did you always want to go to sea? And is this a tradition within your family? Did I always want to go to sea? So I can answer that question. I love telling the story. So when I was in high school, I was a moderately okay high school student. And then I woke up one day and I was like, oh, you know, I have to put the pedal to the metal here. So like it is here in the United States, you have a career fairs or college fairs, and they had one at my high school. And it was SUNY Maritime. Uh, Typically, that's how we call it here in the US. So SUNY Maritime had a booth. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. It's quasi-military. You get to do something different, you know, get on a ship, a merch marine. I, I didn't know what that was. So to answer your second question first, no, didn't have any seafaring at all. My, my grandfather and my great uncle were in the Coast Guard here in the United States during World War II. I say here in the United States being Italian heritage, they were already immigrated into the U.S. during World War II. But besides that, no real connection. So going back to that college fair night, SUNY Maritime is close to where my grandparents lived at the time. And my dad's like, well, why don't we go visit and then we can go visit your grandparents. And and my dad actually didn't even know about the school. He thought it was a Coast Guard reserve base or something like that. There is a Naval reserve base on it. So I went there, took the tour, saw the training ship, and I was like, that's what I want to do. End of story. That's it. Done. There was really nothing else. I found the whole idea of Going on cruise and going to different countries, fascinating, something that my family really didn't do uh, growing up, you know, vacations, not of that of that nature overseas. And the second part was the interconnectivity of people. The international trade part was super fascinating, even kind of at a very high level, like, well, this is what ships do. They go from A to B. This is what you're going to learn about to go to A to B and things of that. And then basically, since I walked on that campus, I was hooked. And that's kind of how I got into it. But no, it's not, you know, some of my classmates had family and friends and, you know, parents who were part of the maritime industry, but I was not one of those folks. I just kind of found it. I found it fascinating and I found it fascinating ever since. Chris, you started your career in the maritime industry as a deck cadet at Folksugger and your first sailing position was an able-bodied seaman aboard tugboats in New York Harbour. We've already talked about the fact that you didn't always intend to have a career in the maritime industry, but was it everything you hoped it would be once you had started? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, the time at Fort Schuyler was really great. You do a training ship and and I did some uh, cadet observer. But what happened was, is uh, I I was uh, what's called shoved down the hawse pipe. Basically, there was uh, no mate's jobs. You get a, a, a... a license when you come out of SUNY Maritime, 
and there were no jobs available or very few. So I took a job as a deckhand on a tugboat and then I uh, for did that for a few months. And then I worked as a deckhand basically or, or able-bodied seaman on tankers for mobile oil and then went from there. But yeah, it's been really interesting. I mean, it's definitely had its its ups and downs, but certainly the seafaring life gave a good foundation for going into, you know, shoreside maritime. You've just mentioned that you worked for mobile oil. What do you think actually helped you progress your career? People talk about luck sometimes. Was it training? And what would you say to seamen wanting to make the next step? It is a little bit of luck and it's a little bit of putting your your best foot forward. And why do I say that? Well, when I joined the ship and at the time, Mobile Oil, which has subsequently, you know, in the last 25 years been rolled into ExxonMobil. But at the time, Mobile Oil was a standalone company and they had one American flagship left and I was on it. And what happened was, is they had not only a complement of officers all of which had their master's license. So the third mate who had their master's license was the person sailing third mate could sail master, could sail captain. So basically it was a matter of this was the last ship. There was no level for promotion. As a matter of fact, when I joined the ship, somebody said to me, why don't you just turn around and go home? You're never going to sail me. I was like, well, no, that's not what I'm going to do. All of the deckhands, the able-bodied seamen, most of them have sailed third mate. A lot of them have even sailed second mate. So there was not a lot of seemingly room for promotion. Fast forward a year or about nine months, we're on one of the trips and one of the mates says to me, take it off of hand steering. I'm an AB, we're, we're steering. Take it off of hand steering and I want you to run the watch. I'm like, okay. He goes, you have your license with you? I go, yeah, it's downstairs. Good run the watch. So I ran the watch, you know, made sure the ship got from A to B. We were in a, a safety fairway, I think. And, you know, I ran the watch, made the course change, made sure we didn't hit anything. And that was it. Well, what I found out later was they did that with all of the able-bodied seamen who had their license at the time. And they felt my performance was the best. And they gave me the next available position, which came a few months later. The point being is, is you never know when people are watching. So it's always good to put your best foot forward, especially when you're out at sea. What I look at and what I see right now for people who are out at sea or cadets, take a look at things like LinkedIn and, and, and other resources only because there is just a treasure trove of people sharing their experiences and how they move ahead in the industry. Look at other people's CVs. Look at how they went from maybe being an engineer to maybe a shoreside engineer, what companies they worked for and what type of education they have. There's so many more resources where before you really had to dig for it, now you could find it a lot easier. But I think overall, it goes down to you know a little bit of luck of being on the ship at that time and putting my best foot forward. So that actually leads me on to really the question around when you do decide your time at sea is coming to an end and you want to make that transition from a life at sea to working on land, what would you say to seamen? How would you advise them to approach that? Would you ask them to look at training courses? You've mentioned LinkedIn. What would you suggest they do? I think it's a matter of just, you know, going back to keeping your network up, whether it's, you know, the career manager that you deal with, whether it's classmates, if you went to any one of the universities, whether it's your local chapter of a propeller club or another industry organization that if you happen to be ashore, you know, on your on your vacation, become involved in the community 
in the maritime community, if you can. I mean, if you live, you know, uh, one of the ca- captains on the ship I sailed on, you know, we lived in Montana. Well, there's not much of a maritime community there. The point being is if you live, let's say, in the Houston area, in the New York area, in in other places around the world, and you're a sailor and you have this capability to be part of an, of an industry-related organization while you're off the ship, those are the best things to do. And to look at LinkedIn and to other places as well and see what companies are talking about, what skills they're looking for, or what the hot topics are. I mean, right now, obviously, everything from decarbonization is a big one to, you know, optimization, efficiency. Those are all the things that, you know, if you get yourself, not necessarily a course, but understanding about it, reading about it, get yourself involved in it. Like I said, again, organizations that can help you to network is probably the best thing. And you have to make maybe a little bit of an effort to get someplace, but I think it's worth the effort to start laying the groundwork. Do you miss being at sea? Do you have a real desire to be on the no. water? <laughs> no, no I, I mean, maybe if it's like, you know, sunny at 75 degrees for like a day, sure. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm good. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I kind of knew in the back of my head when I started sailing, it would be a four to five year experience, six year experience. I never had any real desire to sail captain or to get up to that level. I never had a desire to become a ship's pilot. These were things that end to the mean. I was like, okay, I'll sail for a little while. I'll take the opportunity. Maybe if something interesting presents itself at sea, I'll continue to do it. But no, I'm pretty good right now. As a matter of fact, every now and again, I wake up in a cold sweat that I have to get ready to go to a ship. So I had like a dream about it. So no, I think I've I've moved on. And I'm fascinated. What were the aspects you didn't like about being at sea? No, it was just, it wasn't anything, one thing. I think it was just, I was done with it. It was a very good life. I sailed on great ships. I was on a great eating ship in terms of food and everything. That's always important. I mean, I was U.S. flag, you know, Jones Act, which on the one hand, everything was was really good in terms of food. On the other hand, the ship was a little bit older. And on that same kind of negative way, we would load in, in Houston and then two and a half days later be in, or two days later be in Tampa, turn around the discharge, two days later back in Houston, three days back into Port Everglades. So it was never one of these, we're going to load in, you know, Rotterdam and discharge in, you know, South America and have a 15 day passage and a six day, you know, a six day port stays. This was, uh, you were sprinting for 90 to 100, 110 days. Again, well compensated, not complaining about it, but I kind of did that and I have, you know, no regrets of of when I left or, you know, I stayed too long or too short. I'm pretty happy overall. We'll get back to the interview in a second, but I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Sea Trade Maritime Club, a private membership club connecting senior leaders from across the global shipping industry. Our members are senior professionals representing ship owners, ship operators, or ship management companies. If you want to find out more, please go to www.seatrademaritimeclub.com. Thank you. And now I'll get back to the interview. Moving us to today, you now work, well, in fact, you lead a multinational cross-functional teams for one of the most established maritime SaaS companies during a period of growth and expansion. As product manager of Q88, what does a day in the life of Chris Avasano look like? 
like you mentioned, it's been a lot of expansion. So we're we're now part of the Veston Group, which is pretty fabulous because they have you know great products and great people and a day in a life. You have to look at product management in kind of three kind of angles. You know, you always look at the customers. So some of my job is customer facing. Sometimes I get involved in the nitty gritty of why doesn't this work or we want to add this. But a lot what customer facing is really the strategy of, you know, what what we're doing with the product today and how we're going to move it in light of what the market's doing, what the customer is doing. Another part of it is the technology. You know, I'm not a technology guy. I don't write code. I understand what they're doing, but what I have to do on a day-to-day is communicate with our dev team to make sure that they're doing what's needed, help them with their priorities based on customer feedback, based on strategy. And the last part is, you know, the product, right? Is a lot of my job is just making sure that that, that we're moving that product in terms of strategy uh, forward. But a day in a life is typical, get, get up, check the emails, see if there's any fires, and then look at longer term strategy on what we're working on, whether it's, especially now with the merger of the company, making sure that what we're doing aligns with the greater strategy, and then trying to fit in where our products can work together. And that's been a great learning experience for me in the recent past. And and something I'm looking forward to is, is you know, growing our, our, our uh, product base for sure. Looking at your bio, you talked about an active interest emissions and their impact on commercial shipping. And in fact, you mentioned that during the course of our conversation. How are you personally getting involved in this important topic and its impact on the future of shipping? Well, I think there's a few things, right? I think, you know, one of the things that we've done here when I was with, before we merged, I was part of a working group with Zero North. Zero North is a company that has a few working groups and they're looking for, you know, collaboration within decarbonization towards via collaboration, I think is the best way to put it. So I was helping them with a working group there. And I think, you know, through our products, giving our users the ability to estimate what the emissions impact will look like on any given voyage is something that is really important to me. And just kind of, you know, keeping it as part of the strategy of the company that, you know, we don't produce hardware being a SaaS company, you don't produce hardware to reduce the emissions. But what we want to do is be able to give our users tools that can help them identify maybe optimized routes, optimized speeds, or what ships kind of make more sense from a, of an overall emissions point of view. You know, and of course, you know, in my past life, I was president of the Connecticut Maritime Association. And during that, I know, and going forward, there's a big look towards, you know, making sure that those topics are represented during the trade show and at other, other times. So those are the type of things that I, you know, I personally try to do. And, and actually a little bit of of mentoring my daughter who's off to college. She has a classmate that, that's at Mass Maritime. And I told them, I said, look, just stay in the maritime industry. There's so many opportunities. And we talk about, you know, sailing and this and that. And I said, and you could always get in, involved in like the emissions and energy efficiency. I said, there's so much out there right now. So it's not only just, you know, actually products and things like that, but encouraging a new cadre of people to get into the industry and that this is one of the avenues that they can really make a, a profound impact on. That's really interesting, actually, because one of the questions I did have for you was, if you look back at your career, really, would you do anything differently? And if you were to start your career now with so many other sectors available in the industry, such as digitalization, 
would you choose your career path differently? So I think right now, looking at like what I would tell people or what I would do differently, you know, I don't think I, I think I would sail. I think if you go to one of the maritime schools, uh, my advice always is to sail or at least to try it, even if it's for one trip and you go, this is a disaster. I don't want to do this. That's fine. Totally fine. Or you could be the other way. This is the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm just going to do this the rest of my career get a pension and be done with it. And then every place in between. My recommendation is if you get to go to one of the schools and you have a license that you should sail. I think there's tons of opportunities now. I mean, even going back to the LinkedIn story and I'm not paid my LinkedIn or anything, but you know, I was just looking at LinkedIn and scrolling through. And in the last month I've seen companies, P66, and it was one or two other companies looking for mates, looking to fill billets, as they call it. You know, I'm, I'm being very US centric here, but looking at this, I'm going, oh my gosh, like this wasn't around even 10 years ago. So it's really great to see that there is this availability that people have the ability to sell if they want. You know, my advice to people coming out is to be curious about the different opportunities that you don't have to take the path, you know, come ashore, do operations, do claims, operations, and maybe you get into a chartering job and then go on the chartering job and then maybe you do something. You know, there's so many things that you could do, whether it's coming to work for a SaaS company because you have that subject matter expertise of going to a maritime school and sailing or other things or working for offshore wind or alternative energies or, you know, working as a sales rep for, you know, fuel cells. I'm kind of making it up, but I'm kind of not. I mean, there are, there's a lot of things that you can do now and just keep your eyes open. In terms of what I would do different, I don't think I would do anything terribly different. I think the one piece of general advice is, you know, to look yourself in the face and to see, you know, if you get to a, a point working for a company is, you know, can I continue to grow at one place or do I need to leave. And I think that, especially in my generation, you know, Gen X, we were on that precipice of our parents who would work for a company for 20, 30 years. And then to that kind of went away. So my advice really at the end of the day is to always kind of be doing a sounding of yourself and to say, you know, am I growing? Is there an opportunity to grow? Is this, you know, what I want to be doing and be realistic with yourself? I think no matter where you end up, I think it's probably one of the, one of the things that is hard to do because life gets in the way. You know, you have family, you have kids, you have other commitments, and it's hard to take that real sounding. There's some great advice there. And I think the fact that you've also touched on the work-life balance is important as well. And something that I often talk to people about on these masterclass podcasts. We also touched on the fact that you were president of the Connecticut Maritime Association. Would you say that was one of the highlights of your career? And how did that happen? So it was definitely a highlight. It was a highlight because I had some great people that I worked with, including some of the staff from Informa were great, as well as especially the board and people who came before me as president were always there to give some good advice because affectionately, I call myself, I don't know if you're allowed to give yourself a nickname, but I'll do it anyway. I was the COVID president. Basically, I took over in <laughs> April of 2020, and I, I only was able to do a two-year term because I was vice president beforehand, and that ended in April of 2022. It was definitely a career highlight because it was something that I was able to be in a leadership position. And I enjoyed doing that too, is I was able to be in a leadership position for an industry 
that I really, really, like I said, I'm passionate about, and I have been for a long time. And certainly to wave the flag of Connecticut to people think, oh, Connecticut, it's kind of dead. It's everything's in Houston or Miami. You know, the one thing I'll say to that is it's not dead. It's actually pretty vibrant. It just looks different than what it was 20 years ago with the owners and charters. Now you have a lot of industries, services, and we'll see as things maybe change that people find Connecticut to be a more easier place to work. Saying that, you know, I was vice president for a while. And what happened was, as Joe Gross was winding down his place, you know, we talked about me stepping in and it thought it was a good idea because that was going to be when, in form of fully transitioned from the previous exhibition, uh, the people who ran the exhibition, Jim and Lorraine, to in form of running it. And the idea was, is that as I saw early parts of transition and what it, the show looked like prior to the transition, that it would be wise for me to be there during the transition. Well, it turned out that it was wise because COVID hit and they needed, you know, uh, some help to deal with all the things that happened during COVID. So it was actually uh, worked out to be a good thing and made my time as CMA president, you know, really, really uh, memorable, let's say, in a good way, I think. <laughs> Yes, I think everybody uh, during the pandemic had to find a way to work differently. And uh, that role was no different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was really it was really no different. And, you know, uh, I remember having a call with somebody and it was a CEO of a company. We were chatting. This was in December of this past year. And he said, do you think you can have the trade show in, in March? And I said, look, I said, when you buy or sell a ship, you take a decision and right now it's the best decision to make tomorrow morning. It may be the worst decision. I go, that's kind of, <laughs> I go, I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. We're going to have the trade show in March. It may be, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in you know a couple of weeks. And then we of course had the spike. And then by the time that the spike was over, the numbers started to improve a little bit, but certainly that was um, the big takeaway for me. And then most recently, you were appointed ambassador for America's New York of the Sea Trade Maritime Club. Why is it important for industry professionals to sit on associations and clubs? And what do you hope to bring to the table? The first part of the question, it's important because I think these type of organizations and clubs really help kind of maybe break down some barriers and have it a more of an open exchange of ideas. You know, I look at a little bit of what Zero North is doing, and you kind of hope that people exchange ideas for the betterment of the overall community. And, and maybe they take away a little something that can help that particular company in long haul. I go back to my comment about networking. It never hurts, no matter how senior you are or how junior you are, to have a very strong network because you never know when you're going to need it, whether on a personal reason or on a professional reason. It's really great if you could say, wait a second, I was part of this organization with so-and-so and we're maybe having a problem or maybe there's an opportunity to do something, let me give him a call or give her a call and let me see if we could do something using that relationship as a springboard. I think that's really, really important. What I hope to bring is that, you know, a, a little bit of a of an interesting angle from being right now on the technology side, which is obviously a hot topic, but having more of a foundation in traditional shipbroking and seafaring is kind of gives a nice rounded out sort of uh, uh, view for this sort of thing. Thank you for your time today. I hope you would agree that was a really good insight into your career. Is there anything else you would like to add before we finish the podcast? 
My most important thing is for people who think about getting in the industry, it's an exciting industry. It may seem really boring on the surface, although the last couple of years has proved to be anything but boring. And there's so many angles you could take and the industry is just opening up to more and more people getting involved. I, I think, you know, it's definitely worth the look if you're a, a younger person or somebody mid-career looking to take a, a, a detour, let's say. It's, a, it's something that uh, I don't regret doing. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. This was really cool being on the uh, other end of the microphone.